What's up, everybody? Good day. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. We want to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. We record Theology in the Dirt from Global Impact Restoration Rome, where we work to address the foster care adoption crisis in northwest Georgia, state of Georgia, the southeast, and the world as we practice our theology in the public square. You can check out Restoration Rome by going to restorationrome.org. My name is Mitchell Jolly. And I'm Chris Hayes. And it's time to get ourselves to some headlines. Well, the FBI arrested Jack Teixeira, and I can't see that last name without thinking about the first baseman that we gave away prospects for for the Atlanta Braves who stayed one season and left us for the Yankees. Killed us in that killed it in that season, though, Mark Teixeira. And, and Jack Teixeira killed us. <laughs> Jack Teixeira uh, is arrested his mother's home in Dighton, Massachusetts, on Thursday. Uh, they were accusing the 21-year-old of leaking a number of classified U.S. government military documents online. Uh, Teixeira has served in the Massachusetts Air National Guard since 2019. He's a member of the Guard's 102nd Intelligence Wing. His alleged leaks, which include details about Ukrainian war and U.S. intelligence capabilities, uh, raised questions about the wide dissemination of classified information and led Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin uh, to issue a review of intelligence management procedures. Those documents revealed that we have special forces fighting actively, the U.K. and the United States and other countries actively in the war in Ukraine against Russia, which raises the stakes yeah. when you actually have... Um, actual combat happening. Anyway, so I got to move on because that could be a whole thing in and of itself. Bloomberg reported earlier this week Russian President Vladimir Putin personally approved the arrest of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershevich last month, uh, possibly signaling the increasing influence of hardliners in the Russian government instead of uh, intent on heightening tensions with the U.S. Uh, the Florida legislature passed a bill to ban abortions after six weeks of pregnancy with exceptions up to 15 weeks for rape and incest. Current Florida law Includes a 15-week exception for the life of the mother. Governor DeSantis has expressed lukewarm support for the bill and is expected to sign it into law. Says we welcome any pro-life legislation. ProPublica uh, pro uh, reported Thursday Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas sold property in Savannah, Georgia, including a house where his mother was living, to a Dallas real estate magnate and Republican donor Harlan Crow in 2014. Thomas is under fire for another ProPublica report alleging he had not disclosed numerous expensive vacations that Crow gifted he and his wife uh, and had not previously disclosed the sale of this home worth $133,363, which may be a violation of federal disclosure law. Crow said in the statement he bought the house to one day turn it into a museum of Thomas's life. Women's Tennis Association said Thursday it will resume its tour in China in the fall ending a 16-month boycott in response to tennis star Ping Shui, Ping Shui, like Feng Shui, I think I'm saying her last name right, Ping, S-H-U-A-I, uh, her disappearance from public life, this was a couple years ago, after she accused a Communist Party member of sexual assault in 2021. Uh, she has appeared in public only a handful of times, including at the 2022 Beijing Olympics. Um, since she posted the allegations on social media, WTA said it will uh, never never secure its goal of transparent investigation a CCP member, adding those close to Ping had assured the organization of her safety. Those are my headlines for today. Nice. Rock and roll. I don't really have any much in terms of breaking news or headlines this week. Just a couple of things I wanted to share. Uh, first, continue to pray for baby Malachi and for Chris and Lizzie Hamilton. I know we both got to spend some time with them this week. Right. And um, I'm just thankful and encouraged by that little guy's strength and some of the some of the progress he's made, but there's still a lot of unknowns 
and a long way to go. So, Chris, Lizzie, um, we love you guys. Praying for you. Thanks to all who have been praying for um, this little guy and their family. Absolutely. Um, secondly, I just thought this was interesting. Some in a good way, some in a not bad, w- in, a, in a bad way. But uh, the city of Atlanta is honoring the first black police officers who were hired seventy-five years ago in nineteen forty-eight. That's awesome. There's a group of eight black men who were sworn in, uh, and we, you know, we often hear about the adversity that like black athletes faced. You know, Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, but I never really crossed my mind like first, you know, police officers and what they had to deal with. So here's kind of some of the things they had to deal with. Number one, they were not allowed to drive squad cars. They could not go into white neighborhoods or arrest white people. What? Which I'm just thinking, like, if you so they walk up on someone and it's a white guy who's committing a crime or shooting someone, they can't, like, well, they can't arrest them. You know, they didn't carry guns either um, to begin with. And they couldn't even work out of the main precinct building. So they were basically hired to uh, oversee this. Uh, it was a colored only YMCA, um, and which is actually where the, the that building is where they're holding this wow. honoring ceremony, which I think is pretty cool. That is cool. It wasn't until five years later that they were finally allowed in the main precinct building in 1953, but only in the basement. Wow. But furthermore, they were not only harassed often, but there was even reports made on them that they were drinking on the job. And one white officer was offering two hundred dollars for anyone who killed a black police officer, and mm-hmm. I just, I just think I'm like these guys, probably very proud of what they're wanting to do, wanting to uphold the law, wanting to serve, protect, yeah. But we're basically just mall security guards at best, probably worse than that, just the way they were treated. Yeah. So on one hand, I, you know, it just reminds me, I'm glad I didn't live during this time. But number two, I'm glad that they're being honored and their families are being honored because that could not have been easy. And only no. four of them lasted after uh, more than like a short amount of time. Wow. Of those eight, so. Wow. You, you read what these men and women did in uh, pressing into their civil liberties as Americans. And, and you read some of those backstories and it's gut-wrenching. And what a celebration today to celebrate that uh, things have changed yeah. to a great degree. Kudos to those those men. Absolutely. Pressing into that. Well, guys, it's time to get to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please. It's time for the final Countdown. The show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's rock. Let's indeed rock. Hey, if you notice, we're uh, hoisting... Uh, our beverage containers that say theology in the dirt, likely, hopefully, in the not too distant future, there'll be a nice little merch opportunity for for you to go on and get some cool hats, cool stuff. You need this. This makes the coffee, the Dr Pepper Zero, the water taste infinitely better. Yes, the taste quality just goes through the roof if you drink out of the theology in the dirt mug, and your intelligence on world affairs just through the roof. Yeah, it's it's as close as you can get to holy water. I agree. Like I feel myself, say. I feel myself. Just my intelligence is just like off the charts right now. 
Just feel yourself changing. <laughs> yeah, it's this right here. It's this mug. It's bringing it. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about consumer Christianity. We're talking about the Christian life, how we practice our theology in the public square of our home, our city, and our world. And we're going to talk about consumer Christianity because that's that's a, that's language we've used a lot around our church, um, and has become more prevalent uh, in recent months as particularly uh, we've come back from COVID and. You have this whole online stuff. People are already online, mm-hmm. but uh, you have people who have decided to stay home because they're watching online. They're watching multiple things, and we've always had people who attend multiple churches. Um, they go to one church for this, one church for this, one church for that, or they're part of some kind of group that's just this hybrid of people from all kinds of churches. And and usually the response is, well, what's wrong with that? Like, yeah. why, is that why is that a problem? Um, well, there are lots of problems with that, all kinds of problems. There are Bible verses. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13, uh, 17 for me is, is a massive. I'm not going to read it. You can go read it if you want to. But uh, the implications on who I submit to in, in a city is a big deal. And so if as, a, as an elder in a local church, if Hebrews 13, 17 carries any weight, if I'm responsibility for every Christian in Rome, Georgia, I'll tell you today, I tender my resignation, I quit. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do it. Um, I can't do that. There's no human being on the face of this planet that can be responsible for everybody in a city. Um, yeah. And so, therefore, the question is, who am I supposed to follow? Well, the Bible presents this idea of, of that we are supposed to be in some manner of a local fellowship in which there's biblical oversight by what the Bible calls elders and overseers, and under that leadership, um, be accountable to that leadership and that leadership to those people. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Bible in multiple other places uh, teaches that we call church membership. So people wonder, well, is this church membership biblical? Yeah, like you can't do 1 Corinthians 5, you can't do Hebrews 13, 17 without some manner of agreement covenantally that... I'm not responsible for everybody in Fort County. Um, like I said, because if that's the case and I, I quit today, I'm done, out. But but I don't. that's not what the Bible teaches. And so consumer Christianity leads itself to this accountable, accountability-less Walmart-y choosing of what meets my need at any particular instant in time. And therefore, when you stop meeting it, yeah. Like, all right, I'm tired of honey wheat bread, great value. I want some Wonder Bread. And so you're going to have Wonder Bread. I'm out. I'm going to go down here. They got Wonder Bread over here. And Wonder Bread makes better toast than your great value honey wheat. So, right. right? And so, um, in a very cheap and goofy way, that's kind of consumer Christianity. Mm-hmm. So, how do we get here? Yeah, so I think it's important to start kind of what is consumerism and then kind of where did this start? Because this is not a new thing. It's not a recent thing. It's been trending higher and faster recently, but it's not a, a new concept. Uh, consumerism is a cultural ethic uh, born out of the advent of mass production and further uh, cemented by the advertis- advertising boom around the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hinges on the fact that if we only bought what we needed, the economy would collapse. And so there was this big push in the in the political world but also in the business and economic world that basically says 
if you only buy what you need, things are going to go bad. So you need to buy more than what you need. Right. Uh, and that's kind of where a lot of things started. So the goal of consumerism is to create artificial demand for goods and services you don't really need and probably didn't even know existed. Mm. Um, it's so much more than an advertising strategy. It's a worldview that fundamentally alters the way we approach our bodies, relationships, our mental health, our religion. And it basically is a religion in and of itself. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. One of the most important aspects as Christians is to die to self, right? Jesus makes that clear in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, and then Paul tells us we ought to think it more uh, highly of others than ourselves. And so there's this clash here of, well, here's Christians in church who are pushing this consumerism approach. Jesus is saying the exact opposite. Yeah. And they can't both coexist. Yeah. And I would just about guarantee you no pastor would say that what they're doing is consumer bent. A hundred percent. Like, what are you talking about? We don't, we don't, we don't do that. Yeah. And, and I would go, okay. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit that we're playing to a consumer. Right. At a hundred percent. Consumer Christianity says that our likes and dislikes matter most. And whatever our, our desires, our favorites, our comforts are is what is most important when finding a church, right? right. Uh, on the flip side, churches realize this, and they center their outreach, and I'm using air quotes there, uh, and their marketing efforts to try and become attractive, and they have cool things in order to get people to come to their things. Um, and, and it works because people want to be entertained, right? Mm -hmm. They treat the church like Walmart or some kind of production um, in its real purpose, Um and so kind of want to dive into a little bit of the history here, and I know that you've got some points as well. Uh, but we are actually starting to see, a, before I get to the history, we are starting to see a little bit of a decline in, in a little bit of a change as consumer Christianity is starting to uh, not be as appealing as it right. once was. Um, some recent studies have shown that only 41% of Americans view the church as a trustworthy organization, mm. when not too long ago... The, that would have probably been 80, 90%, even for non-Christians would have said that. Right. Only two of 10 millennials believe church attendance is worthwhile. And nearly 40% of millennials consider themselves religiously unaffiliated. And members of Generation Z are twice as likely to refer to themselves as atheists than the general population. That's wild. Um, it, these new generations, you know, kind of, that was kind of started with the baby boomer generation, this whole consumer right. mentality. and uh, But it started to change. And what we're seeing is the, um, for lack of a word, kind of the destruction and the fall of large um, church industry. Not not churches that are big. I want to make a distinction there. Yeah, a church that's big doesn't mean that they're a consumer. That's right. So we want to make that very clear. That's right. Just because you have a lot of people in your church doesn't mean that's your focus. Yeah. There are a lot of great churches. Who I'm are pro big church. I'm pro be as big and healthy as you possibly can be. I think Jesus is pro big church. So big does not equal consumption. Agree, yeah. And I want to make, and I think right. it's important to make that point because I think a lot of times it's easy to just point at those churches and be like, "Oh, all you care about is getting people in the door." Right. No, some of those big churches are doing discipleship well. Yeah. They're doing That's small right. groups well, That's but right. there are also many, and there are many small churches who are trying their best at consumer Christianity yeah. just just yeah. to get people in the door. Yeah, I saw this funny video that makes its rounds on on uh, on social media, and this has to be from the 80s, and they're older people, and uh, they're doing some kind of telethon, and uh, these two older ladies are singing this song they think is hip. It's called The Devil's in the Phone Booth, dialing 911. The Devil's in the Phone Booth. I've seen that one. Dialing 911. <laughs> and I'm going, they're attempting to get people in the door by being cool, and what you realize is we're laughing at you. 
yeah. all of us are laughing at you. So yeah, small churches, small small does not equal more holy. Big does not equal evil. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, in his book, The Shattered Lantern, uh, Ronald Rollhauser. I don't know if I said Heiser. I don't know if I said that right. Uh, he says, our lives become consumed with the idea that unless we somehow experience everything, travel everywhere, see everything, and are part of a large number of people's experience, then our own lives are small and meaningless, which is basically FOMO, right? And right. It's like this fear of missing out. Right. We, we have to be a part of everything. Right. Um, so from houses to diamond rings to even churches, we've been conditioned to believe that bigger is better. Mm. We're taught that the best way to show love is to give gifts and or create meaningful experiences that go above and beyond expectation. And once again, I want to be clear, those not, not a bad thing. Right. Having production at your church is not bad. Having right. lights, having a great band, having sound, uh, having nice facilities. Smoke machine? Can we get I a smoke machine? We sh- we sh- I don't know that that our I've made our plenty landlords of jokes about, will allow that. <laughs> I've played plenty of jokes about smoke machines. If we ever had any kind of steam rolling up from anywhere, I think I would get fired. I just had a picture of you coming in from like the ceiling with some smoke with like a kiss outfit on. Ooh, yeah. Could I be Gene Simmons that preaches from the Bible? I feel like we got to make that happen I now. Wanna rock and roll all night, and we just Party lost the members. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get let's dive in a little bit uh, to get back on track here. A little bit of the history. So, it's a from, great song, by the way. <laughs> that's a great song. Uh, and and I'm sure there are churches that have done that. There, are, I'm uh, sure. Yeah. By the way, all right. Sidebar: If you're on YouTube <laughs> or TikTok, just go Google like Easter Church production or something. There's you know there's that one church that does like these plays yeah. where that last year they crucified Iron Man and they had <laughs> and they had Loki singing "It's the End of the World as We Know It." I, mean, I got to have to send you these. these That's are, awesome. It's th- th- This church, they all, and I don't want to judge them. I don't really know everything, but I, they yeah. kind of do these big productions yeah. and kind of do movie things. So this year they crucified Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Are you serious? And they had Gaston. They had like, oh my. And, and so and she comes back to life. So it, And you only see clips of it, so yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. But so my go YouTube, Jesus is a friend of mine. You'll pick up a 70s, <laughs> 70s rock and roll. Jesus yeah. is a friend of mine. It's the he Christian version of... Uh, Rick rolled. <laughs> it, is, it is completely. That's right. <laughs> All right. So for a long time, church services were fairly rigid, plain, unentertaining, and but they were authentic, right? Right. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, churches started experimenting with new ways to do church to try and match the cultural landscape. Um, they began to craft their services and programs in a way that was attractive to and offered something for everyone. And at the onset of the movement, seeker-friendly churches that capitalized on something sociologists call collective effervescence. So it's the, or it's the feeling of euphoria people experience with large groups in an emotional setting. So in other words, they wanted to recreate the feelings and success of things like music festivals, concerts, and sporting events, right? They wanted to kind of capture, basically capture in a bottle that feeling, that collective uh, emotional outpouring, and then bring it to the church so the church would not be boring and that it would be attractive to people, especially non-Christians. Right. Um, Evangelical churches began orienting their Sunday morning services around worship experiences with an emphasis on production. And then in the 90s, the emphasis shifted to offering programs, art, and services that mimic the secular culture, but offered, quote, unquote, a Christian twist. Mm. And we saw this, too, with the the rise of contemporary Christian music. So that became, you know, where we kind of started replacing traditional hymns with a piano and organ and a choir with, your you know, your kind of 90s contemporary Christian 
pop rock kind of music. Um, and then you started to grow that kind of the worship industry, if you will, kind of right. started that. So that really, those two things hand in hand, I think really kind of took it from just some experimenting to no, this is really where we're going. And, um, but the truth is, um, if you attract people with entertainment, the only way to keep them is with more entertainment. Yeah, that's right. And once you take that, like you said, once you take that away, yeah, then they're going to go find it somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, so new churches started stripping away religious iconography or like images off mm-hmm. the walls, you know, from their exteriors and interiors that gravitated toward architectural style that blended like the aesthetics of like a mall. Mm-hmm. We kind of started to see more churches in those types of buildings. Yeah. Uh, college campus, uh, kind of that feeling of community mm-hmm. and, uh, even movie theaters and that kind of, and again, none of those things are bad things to have no, churches, not at all. but the intent behind that was to look and feel less like what people thought church was or what they right. grew up maybe with church. Yeah, that's right. And so that's kind of where, we're, and then it's just continued to go the other way. That's right. Uh, since then, I know, I know you've got some stuff, yeah, some of that history as well. There's some fascinating, uh, the history of Christianity in North America. There are actually books on that. That's worth, worth reading and unpacking, but the Jesus revolution movie is worth going to see. It's actually, I think coming out on Amazon free to, it might have been April the 11th or it's May the 11th. So it's, so it's worth, it's worth checking out because true story. Chuck, um, uh, so you're talking about the Calvary Chapel movement. And, and so you have that early American Christianity, uh, that, uh, was not for whatever reason, and, and, and a lot of it was cultural. It wasn't the message. It was not the message of Jesus. It was the cultural adaptation uh, of church culture to just North American life. Yeah. And so you had the post-Vietnam era of people, um, and, and so they weren't you know, just completely in rejection of that culture, not, not the good news, not Jesus, but the culture associated with it, which is fascinating because... When you're dealing with global evangelization, so much of what you're dealing with is not the, theo- not the theology. Now, don't get me wrong. There's theology to deal with. But so much of what you're dealing with is a, is a religious culture. It's like when you're, when you're working with Muslims, um, you're, you're talking about not just a, a theology, which there's a lot more that matches than we give credit for, yeah. but a lot that we're gulfs apart. Let's, let, me, let me be clear. If we don't have a matching theology, our books say mutually exclusive different things. Mutually exclusive claims, but you're talking about a culture. Right. You're talking about the is, Islamic culture is a rich, deep culture, and so when you're talking about a person coming out of Islam to Christianity, it, it, it's as it's as much as unlearning a lifestyle and a culture as it is assimilating a theology. And so Christianity is no different because <clears throat> when you travel around the world and you meet with brothers and sisters in the faith, like it's a different culture and their assimilation of Christian doctrine into their practice is wildly different from us. Right. So when you start comparing how we practice the faith versus how they practice the faith, you start realizing there's an awful lot that we do that isn't prescribed in the Bible. It is a cultural adaptation. So what you had is in American Christianity, you had an adaptation uh, of, of the faith to, it, to a context. And so you had people that didn't identify with that. And so what Chuck did was strip some of that away and get down to what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? What are we supposed to do with that? And wildly successful. And so that led to incredible things. I mean, there, the Jesus revolution, the, the Jesus movement is an awakening that, that the Holy Spirit breathed on and people came to faith and birthed massive people into the kingdom of God. And so coming out of that, the Robert Schulers, who like completely, Robert 
God bless him, gets off the he gets off the ox cart later. Yeah. But you have this growth in and adapting now this eternal message to, to a population that can hear it now. That's missiologically what should happen. That's part of our task is to get this message into the ears of people so they can understand it. And so they were successful with that. That birthed the mega church movement. Yeah. And in so doing, um, just like anything else, we start they start assimilating cultural values. So so in line with what you're talking about, the consumer culture that was birthed, um, it's just natural. So it's we're not I'm not saying there's none of this that's evil. It's right. what humans do. We begin we, we take what we value and what we believe is true and we begin to assimilate it into our lives and to, to the world around us. And so what in parallel with the growth of a consumer culture and the growth of a movement on the backside of a true Holy Spirit awakening, there's the adaptation and the merging of the message and the institution with cultural values. And so that led itself to, we have them now, what do we do with them? And so what ends up happening, and this is just cultural reality, life usually imitates art. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's the movement of history. And so in a consumer world, a consuming mentality in a growing entertainment world, life begins to imitate art. Now, this is a different topic, but when, when, um, ideally, art should imitate life, but unfortunately, art now dictates life, and so we imitate what's around us. We got crucifying Iron Man and all this goober stuff, right? And so, what ends up happening is churches begin to look like the culture around them, mm-hmm. and and that lends itself to like that's cool. I mean, you got a you got a spectacle. I want to see the spectacle. Who doesn't want to see the spectacle, right? And right. so what ends up happening is somewhere along the way, and the the shift happens in people's minds that um, lots of people flocking, big numbers, uh, a show, whatever equals God. I remember uh, in the early '90s, some of my friends going, "Man, God's moving over there," and I was like, "Oh." must be moving over there because like hundreds of people are going over there. So they would be leaving our church, my home church, right? Kind of began to be discipled, uh, birthed into the faith, leaving our church and going to another church because people are going there. So and, and the mentality was God must be moving there. And I started realizing, well, is God not moving here? And then you start asking questions. And what you find is along the way, well, they have a new guy, you know, and he doesn't wear a tie and the music is different. And, and, and then you start wondering, well, is it no tie and different music a move? Does that equal God's presence? What ends up happening is uh, that it burst the church growth movement. Church growth uh, became a movement. In the church growth movement, um, what you begin to have is tactics that appeal to the masses. I remember being told this explicitly um, as a young graduate-level student that you cannot preach the hard passages of the Bible and grow a church. I was told that explicitly um, by people in the industry. You cannot preach the hard passages of the Bible and grow a church. Uh, and, I, and not to cut you off there, I think that's an important piece because that you know just what we covered so far. Someone might be like, "Well, I, why is that so bad?" If you're getting people in the church, well, what happens is, in order again, what I was saying earlier, in order to keep the people there, yeah, you don't want to offend. Yeah, and, and people people want to feel comfortable, and yeah. they don't want to be told about so. You know, preachers start talking about sin less, and they start talking about, you know, God's love, and they start talking about things like, you know, 
basically self-help type stuff. Right. And, and you just start watering down the gospel. You start watering down the truth. And we start yeah. talking about things that are easy to hear, that are pleasant to hear. Right. And so people don't leave. Yeah. And, and then, then when you do that, there's no discipleship because you're, you're <laughs> clearly not focused on that from yeah. the pulpit. Then you're not going to be focused on that elsewhere. And then now we've got these lazy Christians, unhealthy Christians, if at all Christians. Right. And so you, then you're not growing the church. You're just mm-hmm. growing the club. That's exactly right. And, and let, let me give this warning on the other side. That That's one extreme. The other extreme is to completely reject culture altogether, isolate, and then become extreme on the other end of having no concept of missiologic, missiologically engaging people. Yes. Like you, you can't do that either. Right. So that you use the excuse, well, small equals holy. Not necessarily. So here, here's some... here's. Here's some recent uh, studies. 65% of churches in America are under 100 in attendance. 65%. The number jumps to over 80% of churches that are under 200 in America in attendance. Meaning the great number of churches in America are small churches. And the growing trend which I think is a movement of the Lord, is gen- the, the wise, the, mm-hmm. new, the new generation is rejecting the consumer stuff. Um, and, and those who are coming in are more into historical, creedal, um, liturgical Christianity that speaks to its culture transformatively, prophetically, not assimilating it into its practice. Like they've found the emptiness of that mess, and and the majority um, are, are kind of tired of it. But here's the thing: is is it's not very accessible. Like it, there's still this sense of of shallowness to to what we say and do, because everybody in the culture is trying to evangelize everybody else, whether it's LGBTQ plus, whether it's uh, whether it's pro-democracy, pro-republic, pro-democrat, pro-republican, pro-whatever you are. Everybody's trying to evangelize everybody with information. And the intelligence of people doing that is off the charts. Like, we don't have any dumb people. Right. Like, humans are intelligent and people making arguments for things. And so what Christians are finding is they've been ill-equipped to think in the public square. So they don't know how to think in the public square because what they've been doing is consuming products. They've been consuming children's ministry, student ministry, and, and we do children's ministry and student ministry. But so many people choose children's ministry and student ministry based on the bang for the buck versus discipleship. Right. Is it numerically large? Is it loud? Is it fun? And do you give away prizes? And you is have my a playground. Kid, do you have a playground? Is my child going to be entertained? I've actually had people say, well, it's just not real entertaining, but it's more entertaining over there. So we'll take our kids over there on Wednesdays. We'll come here on Sundays. I'm like, no, just go there. Just go there. That's okay. Just go there. But the mentality is it's not entertaining here. It's entertaining there. And I'm going, okay, but do you know how to think about sexuality? Does your kid know how to think about sexuality? Do you know how to study the Bible, right? Yeah. And so and so you see that creep up periodically as people begin to choose a church based on what you offer. People get frustrated at us because we take a Sabbath in children's ministry. Like we we give our people time off. We give our because our workers are our parents. And so we're sold hard on the biblical concept of rest and Sabbath. Right. Because the Bible teaches it. Your wife who leads that leads that ministry is sold hard on that. She's a full time teacher. She's an incredibly brilliant, bright, committed person and works really hard and needs rest, <laughs> just like yes. everybody else. Yeah. And so we believe in letting ministry rest. Let it let it breathe a little bit. And people are like, no, 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 I want child care. No, we don't do child care. Right. 
we provide you an opportunity to help disciple kids in the fellowship because we're committed to one another. We're committed to our children. And so this is a co-op. This isn't a service to you. This is an opportunity for you to participate in exercising your spiritual legs in teaching the Bible to children, each other's children, including yours, so that together we grow up in the gospel. We grow up in the kingdom of God. That's You can't consume that. That's something you have to give to. And yeah. it's a repellent for a lot of people. And the bent is to stop that. Because it's easier to stop that, and people will come if you don't require them to help participate in raising and training children. Yeah. And what we're saying is, no, no, no. People may choose to not come for that, but those who come will be discipled. They will learn how to teach children. They will learn to teach their children. And we raise up a generation who loves and fears God. And even inside of that, people don't want to do it. They're like, I don't want to commit to it. Just being lazy. Yeah. But discipleship is not easy. Discipleship's hard. You had to commit to it. And so so even inside what we're trying to do, what we're trying to do, we're trying to combat that movement by even down in the systems requiring people to be part and participate as opposed to just come and get, 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 get. Because you could hire, we could spend 50% of the budget on workers. Yeah. And all you got to do is drop your kids off. We provide child care for you. But what are you learning from that? You get a quiet worship service. Great. Yeah, we could what, buy some inflatables. Yeah, we could buy some inflatables. <laughs> but what did you get? Like, what did you yeah. learn that's going to serve you when your kid is 17 and wrestling with their sexuality? Right. Oh, I had a quiet worship service for 10 years. What I do now, right? As yeah. opposed to, God, the Bible teaches. Look at this. I've taught through the Bible, Old New Testament, two times in my rotation to radical kids. I know what the Bible says. My kid's been part. You know, and so, it, man, there's a difference in consuming versus being discipled. Yeah. And so and so, what I'm trying to do there is show you a little history of how we got where we got that merges what you're doing, but also how we're trying to not be part of the consumer mentality and saying, no, let's commit to something and stay the course in it for a lifetime as opposed to being part of these multiple plays and things where there's no accountability and I just go get, 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 get and never give, 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 give. Yeah, we've, and we've got to combat the myth that if we don't have cool stuff, people won't come. Right. And I think the Asbury uh, revival that we witnessed not too long ago, I think yeah. it's a perfect example of that because that was not at a at a you know huge sports venue. It was not. It wasn't a big production. You know, there wasn't. I don't even think they had like words on the screen. Right. Um. They didn't have a like a cool set list. They didn't have. A huge full band. They did at times, but for the most part, it wasn't. It was just people coming up and right. doing music. And right. you know, they they didn't they didn't bring in world renowned celebrity speakers. Right. They didn't give out. Uh, you know, they didn't have <laughs> Chick Fil A every every day out there giving away <laughs> free stuff. I'm sure they did at some point. Right. And I know people were purchasing right snacks and foods. Yeah. But you have to, eat. but not to entertain. Yeah. It was right. to, it was right. simply to to sustain. Yeah. And. Yeah, people came from all over the world because yeah. people want. At the end of the day, people are going to be most attracted to authenticity, yeah. and consumer Christianity is not authentic. No. And I think people are hungry for a move of God. I think and, so too, and, and I think I'm sure that crowd had people in it who were just revival seeking. But I, I think people were so legitimately hungry to taste the presence of the Lord that they were willing to come and be uncomfortable to just simply be in the presence, the tangible. Um, liquid. That's a word I'm learning to like. Liquid presence of the Lord. Yeah. Um, 
And, and, and I promise you, providing goods and services for people is not going to provide that. Prayer, fasting, seeking the Lord, reading your Bible, being in fellowship, learning to listen to the Holy Spirit is where that's going to come from. But you can't get that with a scene on the stage. And, and, and this is something I think is vital to recognize. We, we as humans can manipulate the human emotion. That's not hard to do. Right. I, I began to recognize that getting goosebumps is not Holy Spirit. Can be, but likely not. And here's this is <laughs> this is kind of funny, but it's true. Like the first time I recognized that getting goosebumps was not the Holy Spirit was leading up to a sporting event. Welcome to the jungle, which is not a holy song. And dude, I felt the goosebumps up and down my spine on my arms, and I was I was jacked. And it hit me. It's like that ain't got nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. And so I got down this road of recognizing human emotion can be manipulated. Mm-hmm. And so you can do something in a worship service to manipulate people to get an emotive response, and they can believe that's the Holy Spirit and may not be. Well, that's that's journalism 101 right now. There you I mean, go. you see it. You're on the Twitters. There are you know it, it's certain ESPN personalities and certain yeah. political personalities that will say, and they know what they're saying. I don't even think they believe it, but they'll say something right. that's, will trigger an emotional response, yep. which will lead to clicks, to reads, to comments, yeah. to engagement. Yeah. And the church isn't that different in some places. No. You know, I might say something just completely, that, or we'll do yeah. we'll do a secular song at the beginning, so people <laughs> right. will be like, oh, they do, right. like, real music, you know. Or <laughs> right. they'll, and, and yeah. you know, at the end of the day, that's just, it's a heart issue, yeah, and one of the things I love about, and I'll just say this, and because I'm proud of who we are and what we do, um, I love the fact that we're okay with our mistakes because we're human. And if a mistake in a service, like if if me not being 100% polished, I'm manuscript, but I also go off manuscript sometimes, and sometimes I, I fumble over a word or two, and 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 sometimes we get a chord wrong, or or sometimes the sound does funny things because we're in a gym. Um, if that turns if that causes someone's experience to stop at the moment it's probably not holy spirit i firmly believe that because here's what i'm here's i'm just say this experientially and i think i can prove this in the bible so i'm I'm just going to start with my experience when god has my attention all hell can't stop it um the the dark lord himself cannot stop the sovereign move of god in my heart when i submit to the lord Resists the devil, James says he flees. And so what I have found is that when I truly seek the Lord, Jeremiah 29, 13, he lets us find him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and what I find in that is you don't need a bunch of stuff for that. You don't need it to be smooth. You don't need to be on point. Y'all don't have to be perfect. My words don't have to be perfect. Um, people can be dripping their Lord's Supper as they go. It don't, don't have to be perfect. It has to be as a bunch of people who want Jesus more than anything else. And when you want Jesus more than anything else, he says, you you can have me. And so I think the imperfect and the hard lends itself to some manner of authenticity um, that I think moves the heart of God. These people want me more than they want the product. And if you want God more than you want the product, the Lord promises you got me. And so I think think there's a component of consumer Christianity that makes it easy— and then I don't think it's supposed to be easy. And that's probably 
I'm, I'm willing to be corrected on that. But I think coming after the Lord is, is intended to be some manner of fight. You got to take up your cross daily and follow me. Mm-hmm. We're fighting a flesh that's broken. We're fighting a dark kingdom that is fighting back. And and therefore, if I remove all barriers, is it real? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a legit question. And yeah. And so consumer Christianity tries to remove too many barriers um, it, the barrier shouldn't be to the message. Let me make that clear. We should not be theologically hard to understand. That's not what we're saying. We should be able to communicate even difficult Bible teachings in some manner that's able to be received. But when we talk about the cultural manifestation of the assimilation into that, um, it's not always supposed to be easy. There should be some things that make us go, yeah, that that's funky, but Man, I taste the goodness of God in that, and I'm I'm I can work past needing to serve every six weeks in order to have this thing that's good and feeds my soul. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And I, I and I think I think that gets a little tricky there. It's hard to articulate that because again, we're not talking about evil versus good. We're talking about good, better, and best. And I think if you can tear down consumables, you're at best. You're at the best you can possibly be, and I, I and I don't think we're perfect. I don't think we're perfect in that. I think we have ways to go. Hundred percent. You know. Yeah. We don't, and it doesn't have to be like church doesn't have to be cold or boring or right. uninteresting. Yes, we're not talking about boring or uninteresting exactly. or cold, right? And, and, exactly. But I think again, go back to your earlier point. Uh, most of the churches that are doing this either don't realize it or would never admit it. Right. And that's kind of part of the problem here. Yeah. Um. There's a. I like this quote from uh, a pastor named Alan Hirsch in his book, The Forgotten Ways. He says, I love Hirsch. Yeah. He says, uh, whether we choose it or not, almost all expressions of church in the West are implicitly vulnerable to non-discipleship, professionalized ministry, spiritual passivity, and consumerism. The problem is rooted in the profoundly non-missional assumptions of the system itself. And, and, you know, in other words, it's, it's become like this fast food Christianity. Like That's it right. might taste good at first and it brings you in and, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, those, I think like this old country house with like that blue light thing, that mosquito killer. Yeah. It's like, you know, for the mosquito, it's like, oh, it's dark. Oh, I'm attracted to the light and it looks beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but it's leading me to my death. That's and right. it's opposed to being able to take a moment and assess is that. Yeah. Really? Is that is that what I need? Is that going to sustain me? Is that going to help yeah. me grow, or is that going to yeah. kill me? Mm. And um, sometimes I just I feel like we're just we're just mosquitoes, yeah. and we're we're looking for the brightest light. And when that one goes out, we'll find the next one. That's exactly and, what happens. Um, instead of you know, and we and we we use this kind of phrase a lot. You know, where church doesn't exist for you to come and consume, we are to be consumed. Yeah. And I don't think if you're coming there to get fed. And only then you're you know, you're not right. gonna go feed others probably. That's right. I remember that was the nineties thing, man. I'm just not getting fed here. I'm like yeah. So you're not reading your Bible? So you can't feed yourself, so you're saying you're an infant spiritually? It's like let's take that analogy all the way to its conclusion. You kinda yeah. well, I was about to say something not nice. <laughs> but like it's yeah, it's like for real. But and again though the danger in that is though to be intentionally unfun. Un-whatever, un right? And thinking that you've stripped consumption away. And that, that's not what we're saying. Yeah. Like, personality matters. Like, you, like, and I think part of the intentionality of some of the things we do here is the reason I don't always do Christian songs is because I don't live in a constant Christianized world. I like all kinds of music. So 
we play music that's not not because we're trying to attract people. It's just it's real. We're it's our personality, so we're not talking about unfun stuff. And I'm not talking about being a dope all the time. Like I, I, I'm kind of me, and sometimes I'm goofy and say goofy stuff because I'm not trying to be unfun and thinking I'm oh I don't want to appeal to anybody. That's not what we're talking about. Right, right. 100%. We're talking about what we do needs to be as Jesus understandable as it can possibly be without any additional things to make Jesus something he's not. Yeah. If you can use a, one of these tools to make his name more famous yeah. and to share his message, use those tools. Yeah. But if your purpose is solely to use these tools because they're trendy yeah. and because that's what the culture says we need to offer. Yeah. That's where the, uh, the yeah. it gets bent the wrong way. Yeah. I'm going to give you some, it's a little diagnostic and then I know you have some takeaways. So we're, we're running to the end of our time. Just some, here's some questions, diagnostic questions. I pulled these off of uh, gospel coalition and gospel coalition has got its problems at times, but they have some good stuff. They do. <laughs> stuff so, uh, to just, this is not the reason they gave these questions. So I want to say that. So if you go look these up, um, this is not the reason they gave them, but I felt like they were good diagnostic to see, uh, to help root out consumer um, mentality. First, do you love God? In your heart, do you desire to follow him, worship him, obey him? Like, is, that, is that your aim? Um, does your professed love for God stretch into action? Are you just consumed with theology and you dwell on the ivory tower of theory, or do you put that stuff into practice? Um, which is why we call this theology in the dirt. Like, Do you believe that the Bible says it's our job to care for the fatherless? If so, then you better start doing something about it. Right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah. Um, do you love the Bible? Do you actually read it? Do you have a plan to read it through on an ongoing basis? I love the fact for the first time in the life of our church in 20 years, the majority of the people in our church are actually reading their Bible through, and many have doing, done, doing it for the first time. We have a plan, a Bible reading plan. And what's wild is the questions like, oh, my gosh, I know Genesis 6. Who are the sons of God? I'm like, great question, right? And right. so people are starting to read, and they're reading, and so and falling in love with studying the Bible. But at the same time, we we always push to now do something with it, and people are trying to figure out how to live in the public square. Love that. But so, do you love the Bible? Does your church love the Bible? Do you push people to read the Bible, or or are your leaders the only access to the Bible? That's not that's not what we want. Um, does the Bible shape your ethics and morals? Are you actually practically having your ethics shaped? by the message of the Bible. And that gets hairy down in the granular level because there's some places where we can disagree on the practice of our ethics. But thank God we have an ethical framework. So are, are you pushing the boundary of what it looks like to live biblically in our world? Do you, do you love sharing the gospel? Um, do you actually take time, do people actually take time to share this good news? And I don't mean invite them to church. Please invite them to church. That's awesome. Please invite people to church, but even more so, tell them the good news of Jesus. Do you know the good news? Can you share that good news? Um, can you do it? And this is, dude, this is a, I see this a lot. When, when I ask people to share share the good news, they often tell their testimony, and that's not what we're talking about. Right. Your testimony is not the good news. So if somebody asks you to share the good news, or you need to share the good news, your testimony is not the good news. It's an illustration of what the good news has done in you. But you need to be able to share this good news, the meta narrative of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, with the centerpiece being the cross and sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you cannot do that, you don't love the good news, but you need to be able to do that. Um, do you love other Christians? <laughs> like, are you committed to other Christians? And I don't mean in this weird hybrid group of small group people who go to like five different churches. That's not, I, I'm just going to go out, I'm just going to say that's not Christianity. That's not biblical 
fellowship. Biblical fellowship is I'm committed to you, and I'm going to be committed to you, and you're going to be committed to me, and we're going to figure out a way to spend time together and read the Bible together and study the Bible together and wrestle through this stuff. That's biblical fellowship. That's spending time together. Are you committed to Christians like that? Do you take time? Does it? Do you cut out other things to spend time with people that you're accountable to? That 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 matters. Do you enjoy gathering with a local church and discipling others and draw nourishment from it? If you're one time a month, chances are you, the answer to that question is no. Um, live stream is not church. Live stream is the new front door. It's the advertisement. It's the here we are, but it is not fellowship. Yeah. Um, and and so. Do you love gathering with the local church? You love serving. Are you willing to serve? Or are you or, or, or are you not going to serve because you don't want to give more time? Um, that's a heart problem. And um, does it matter? Does eternity concern you? Are you laying up treasure for that day? Yeah. You know those those are if you can those are diagnostic questions to help you go. Am I am I consuming or am I am I leaning into things that are and I, I and leaning in has now become one of those Christian subculture terms that I'm trying to get not used, but you know, like uh, doing life. And we should do an episode where we just use nothing but Christian subculture language. I think that's one of our on our topic <laughs> list of like, well, that and like commonly misused phrases yeah. and stuff. But we're yeah. just doing life, man. We'll that, do that's Christ, a good Christianese. One. Christianese. So yeah, I'm trying. So I think <laughs> leaning in is one of those too. It's like we've learned to assimilate, and I I hate Christianese. I try to pl- I try to scrub my language every six weeks of anything that smells like that. <laughs> Somebody wrote something and did like a video that recent, not too long ago of like, man, if you're not a Christian, like a lot of our hymns that are about blood would creep you out. <laughs> and then like, and the idea of baptism is terrifying if you right. don't understand, you know what? <laughs> like one of my favorite stuff. baptism stories is one of our little guys. I won't call his name. He was deathly afraid. His dad was going to baptize him, and we do baptism at a creek. Because that's awesome. It's public, and that's what baptism is—a public profession of faith in Jesus. And and so, and it's an opportunity to gather. We felt we like we have a picnic. It's like a big deal. Yeah. Our church gathers, and it's a lot of fun. And so, um, this little fellow was deathly like concerned about the crawfish. We got down into the water. That was awesome. But he, but yeah. for him, like, is overcoming. Like, man, I, Jesus is more important than crawfish. My, by God. That's my boy right there. So it's like, but yeah, yeah that no, made I, me think about baptism. I was, I was like, yeah, it's like a thing, man. I saw a video a couple of days ago of like a baptism in a church, and you know, yeah. they have the guy or the pastor is always like, you know, why have you come to get baptized here today? And the guy was like, because I don't want to be a piece of s anymore. <laughs> and I and then the pastor kind of took him a minute, and then he but he was like, I like that, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I. Yeah, I, that would have rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because you don't use cuss words in church. Right. But I was like, that might be the most. Yeah, honest. Yeah, it, it, you know, just answer I've ever heard. Like right. it, it, he didn't try to package it into this nice thing. It was just like, no, I don't want to be that anymore. That's right. And some people like would be offended by that. I would say go read all of Ezekiel, and there are places where he, where God and you realize that came out of the mouth of God. God gets salty sometimes. Yeah, that's not an excuse for my poor language because my language is poor often. But but there's appropriate times to say stuff, and when when somebody's like just being. You know, they don't know. They, they've met Jesus. Like, it's all right, man. It's good. God yeah. said saltier things in Ezekiel. That's true. <laughs> That's God true. Said, so you got some takeaways. Yeah, let's do. I got five quick takeaways. They're not long, but um, just kind of something to 
uh, take home as you listen to this episode today. So number one, find a church, stay at that church and give, uh, give your time, your gifts, your money, your passions, mm. yourself. Um, it's, 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 it's a co-op. It don't just show up and take, that's right. Um, you should be giving much more than you take back. Uh, number two, it's okay if you don't like everything or agree with everything, mm. as long as the non-negotiables are right. So I want to make that clear. Like, don't keep going to a church that's not preaching the gospel or mm. that believes in things that are anti-biblical. But it's okay if you don't like every song that they play. Amen. And it's okay if you don't like that they do the songs at the front or the back or if you don't like the building you're in or, you know, those kinds of things. There are negotiables and there are non-negotiables. And if you go around trying to find a church that checks all your boxes, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> that's right. Um, number three, church doesn't have to be boring. <laughs> don't hear that, but it doesn't need to be all about the production either. Mm. Authenticity is more important than attraction. Mm. Humility is better than entertainment. Preach. And I think we're getting to a place where people want that more and more. Like they don't want to go to, uh, and, and as a worship leader, like I'm, it's hard not to go to places and, and not like judge or not assess right. certain things. But I, you know, at, from that perspective, I can walk into a church and within seconds I can tell if that worship leader is performing or if mm. they're pouring out their heart authentically. And I can't say that I've always been perfect at that too, but you know, I've grown a lot in that myself because I think that's important. It's 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 you learn this is not a performance, right? It, it doesn't mean I shouldn't be excellent and pursue and try to and practice and yeah. work on my craft. I think that's important, yeah. And I think that's where a lot of times it's hard to differentiate there. It's you, you know. For you preaching, like you said, you're not perfect in everything, but you should be working on your craft, right? You should be trying to be excellent at, at that. Same yeah. thing with the band. Like, you should be working on that. It shouldn't be bad. Right. But the focus and the goal shouldn't be on the yeah. production and the perfection aspect. It's not lazy. There's no room for laziness. You always should be getting better at what you do. Yes. Always striving. It's not going to be perfect, and you receive that, but don't be lazy. Right. You ne never be static, always learning, always learning. Absolutely. Always learning. It's good. Uh, number four, for churches, growth for the sake of growth isn't kingdom focus. Mm -hmm. It's self-serving. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a big church, and there's nothing wrong with growth. However, if your focus is trying to get more people in the seats, instead of being the hands and feet of Jesus, you're missing the objective. Mm, and that's good. Um, and then lastly, listen to the word and obey what he says in it. Everything we need to know is in there. Um, if you're doing something that is counter to what Jesus taught, stop repent and change and ultimately just keep the main thing the main thing that's awesome there's great tools that you can use and use those tools use social media use video production use good sound all those kinds of things are not wrong but keep the main thing the main thing man that's rich good stuff chris thanks my brother yeah it was a good time i love it well guys we really appreciate you guys listening our little audience is growing and that's kind of fun and so we appreciate you guys who partner with us. You give financially. That that makes some things possible. That's pretty awesome. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening. If you have any questions, you can send them to theologyandthird at gmail.com. Uh, we appreciate you guys' feedback. A lot of you guys just see us, and you tell us things you want to talk about. So we've got some of that coming up, and so yep. there's no need to email when you see us in person. But those of you who live across the pond, and some of you guys living in other countries who listen, we appreciate it. You can send us questions. And so I think it's always appropriate to address issues in other cultures and contexts. So if you have something, please send it to us. You you can always check out restorationrome.org if you want to see how you can be involved in alleviating the foster care adoption crisis in Northwest Georgia, state of Georgia, and the world. Learn about TBRI. Hope to talk about that in the future, too. A uh, central way of working in that world as we wrestle with our theology and putting it into practice and helping healing 
trauma and uh, background hard stuff. Theology and Dirt, appreciate you guys. Have a fantastic rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Out. Peace out. Curiosity. I want to turn the whole thing upside down. I'll find the things they say just can't be found. I'll share this love I find with everyone. We'll sing and dance to